Hi, I'm Avery Truffleman of Articles of Interest, and I'm this week's guest on Metapod. This is Metapod, where we unpack the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. Articles of Interest is a show about what we wear. And thanks for tuning in to Metapod. I'm Wendy, your host. And as you heard, my guest this week is podcaster extraordinaire Avery Truffleman. Avery is the host and creator of Articles of Interest, a show about what we wear. You might also know Avery from her affiliation with design podcast 99% Invisible or her work on Nice Try and The Cut. Avery was one of Metapod's first guests back in 2020. In episode two of Metapod, Avery joined us to discuss her work at The Cut, the weekly podcast from New York Magazine. We did talk a bit about articles of interest in that conversation if you'd like to go back and listen to it. This episode, however, is devoted to Avery's work on articles of interest, and we talk a lot about the new series of the show titled American Ivy. The new series explores the origin and evolution of this fashion style and what would eventually become known as preppy. Avery is very interesting and fun to talk to. She's intelligent, curious, self-aware, creative, and funny. She must be one of the few people on earth that can connect the shape of a shoulder on a jacket to some major world historical event. And well, that's pretty special. We touched on a lot of different subjects in this conversation, which was a lot of fun. Preppy as a style, fashion trends and vibes, fashion forecasting and the genes of the future, scent and our sense of smell, and clothing as a means to express ourselves. If this is your first time listening to Metapod, welcome and hey, meet me back here after the interview for a few more words. Okay, slip on your penny loafers and pop your collar. Here we go. Avery, we last talked in December 2020, nearly a very two, different time. <laughs> nearly, nearly two years ago. So, welcome um, back to Metapod. It's such an honor to be back. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so, back at the end of 2020, you had just taken over the Cuts Weekly podcast. So much of our conversation was about that. But yeah. We talked a little bit about podcasting in general, and one thing I remember you saying, which Kevin and I had a laugh about, was about how one's voice changes over time. Oh, yes. And that you start out higher or maybe faster early on in your audio career, you dip lower, and then you maybe (laughs) level out somewhere in between, so how low has your voice gone? Oh, my God. Well, I feel like... I smoked a lot of cigarettes in the pandemic, mostly just to, (laughs) I was just living in an apartment by myself and I had this little fire escape. And I mean, it was just such a, I mean, it was the worst. I mean, and I was fine, you know, I was just (laughs) making a podcast. But uh, I remember at night I'd, I'd let myself have a cigarette and a glass of whiskey. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is, this is how people survived world war ii like if you just have like 
<laughs> with a with a with a cigarette and a whiskey, I feel sort of okay. I know this is not very healthy behavior for everyone, but it was what I needed to get by. Uh, definitely felt like that lowered my voice. Not sure if that has okay. anything to do with like confidence or aging or or anything. I think it's gotten lower, but yeah, it's it's. <laughs> It's, I mean, I, 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 it's funny. I didn't mean to give it such a prescriptive path. I feel like voices get lower and then they get higher and then they get weaker and then they get squeakier. They just change. And as our bodies change, you know, the chamber mm. where the sound is resounding changes. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, you left your role at the cut and you went back to working on articles of interest and probably some other things. But very recently, I heard that you made an appearance at a podcast festival in Amsterdam. What did you do there? I did. I was premiering uh, this first. Podcasts are also complicated now. Like every show has three titles. It's like from PRX's Articles of Interest, it's American Ivy. You know, they're always like three mm -hmm. nested titles. And it's always like season two, chapter one, part five. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're all so complicated. So I understand how, how ridiculously like podcasty this sounds. But I was premiering the first episode of this season of my show. And it's a show that began as a part of the design podcast, 99% Invisible, and now it's forked off and it's its own thing. And because it's its own thing, uh, Articles of Interest in the Past was a fashion podcast nested within a design podcast. So it was, each episode was sort of standalone. So they could sort of double as episodes of 99% uh, Invisible. But now on its own, I'm making one overarching story, which I've never done before. I've never worked in the serialized format. So it's technically like season three, episode one of Articles of Interest, but it feels very new and very different to me. Okay. Um, and so I was premiering that in Amsterdam, which was the coolest thing. I got to do it at the Amsterdam Podcast Festival. Okay. And did you have an English speaking audience or Dutch or mixed or... It was an English speaking audience. The okay. Amsterdam Podcast Festival has an English stage and a and a Dutch stage. Okay. But the cool thing was so much of the season that I'm working on now is really about trends and where trends come from, which en ends up being a very Dutch thing, you know, like the mother, the grandmother of trend forecasting is Dutch, Lee Edelcourt. And she spawned this whole trend forecasting industry in the Netherlands okay. that really took off around the 80s. Uh, so while I don't speak Dutch, unfortunately, I felt the, the, you know, the closest thing I could do to sort of nod to the city I was in was invite this amazing trend forecaster, Els Dracht, to come and be in conversation with me on stage. So while we didn't speak Dutch, we, 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 we tried to stay aware of the city we were in and it was really fun. It was really cool. Good. So the newest season of Articles of Interest is terrific so far. Thank you. Can you give us a quick introduction to it? When I give the short answer, people are like, I'm not interested in that. But <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. So it's 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 about preppy clothes. Like long story short, it's about preppy clothes, which is funny because preppy is not even a word people really even use anymore because those clothes, which had various heydays that come back in style so many times. There's like a version of preppy in like the 1930s. There was a version in the 50s. There was a version in the 80s. There was a version in the early aughts, but it just keeps coming back and back around so many times that it sort of never goes out 
of style. And nowadays, these clothes, which are button-down collared shirts and and polo shirts and chinos and loafers, these are just called classics or basics. You know, they're so ubiquitous that they're not even really considered like a style anymore. We're like, oh yeah, back to like classic dressing. So I was originally going to do one episode on this. I was like, hmm, preppy clothes, what's up with that? And then as I dug into it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the (laughs) biggest, richest story of the course of 20th century fashion that I've ever encountered. And there are all these weird through lines. It explains so much about, well, it's called, the series is called American Ivy, even though half of it takes place in Japan, but it's very much about this stereotypically American style of clothing and how it spread to the rest of the world and what it embodies about American democracy and classism and race. And there's so many things you can really like plumb the depths of this look and find a lot. So the thing that I always say is like, I wouldn't make it seven episodes if I didn't think it had to be. I actually had to add, I was going to make it six and I was like, actually it needs seven. Um, Definitely not vamping. Like there's so much to say about this style that I don't even like, like I hated preppy clothes. I'm kind of glad that it's a non-visual medium because if you had to show the clothes, (laughs) listeners would be like, I don't want to talk about these. Like these are gross. Is there a definition for Ivy and preppy are you using them interchangeably or are they different? So in the beginning, I'm using them interchangeably. The difference doesn't really come along until the seventies. So the style that was before preppy was called Ivy. And that's the very like mid century collegiate look. That's like letter sweaters and like tweed pants and a very like understated 1950s, you know, sort of boys on a, on a college campus. And it would eventually become sort of the teenage look as the teenage demographic grew after World War II. But the preppy, so the word preppy has been around since at least the 1930s. Students who attended preparatory schools have long called themselves preppy. It's just that that world is so elite and so small, like no one else knew that was a thing. And it wasn't quite revealed. That word didn't come into mainstream parlance until 1970 because of the book and the movie Love Story, uh, starring Ali McGraw. In that movie, it takes place on a college campus between like a poorer girl and a richer boy. And she always teases him by calling him preppy. And so this sort of spread the word around And throughout the 70s and then into the 80s, there developed this new sort of take on Ivy style. It had a lot to do with the rise of Ralph Lauren. Mm -hmm. It had a lot to do with this new sort of vacation culture that was happening after hours uh, in the workplace. There are all these like larger demographic ingredients that play into the growth of Ivy and the development of preppy out of Ivy. It's very hard to just like summarize it. But yes, there is an aesthetic difference between preppy and Ivy. But as I say in the podcast, it's sort of like explaining the difference between rock and roll and rock. You know what I mean? Okay. Like there's definitely a stylistic difference, but it's mostly a matter of chronology. Like one became one became the other through a series of different events, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So far, it sounds like you've talked to quite a few people around the world, or at least from different cultures. I mean, I'm hearing people from Japan or people living in Japan, Australia, 
England. Um, where on earth do you start with a huge topic? <laughs> or, I mean, do you have a method or do you just go with what un- unravels from it or snowballs? Yeah. So it sort of started snowballing. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I well, I was thinking about doing a season all about trends and mm-hmm. cause there was so much language now about like what's in what's out. You, you see it now. It's like Barbie core is in skinny's in skinny's out. Like, all these different looks are competing all the time. And so I was like, oh, we're we're very fascinated by this discourse of what is trendy right now. It just seems like a fun thing that people enjoy talking about. So I was going to make a season where every episode was a different trend. I was like, oh, I'll do one on Ugg boots and one on um, raver pants. You know, each one will be a different trend. And so I was going to do one on preppy clothes and really focus on like Abercrombie and stuff. And I started by interviewing some people who I just know are really smart in the fashion space and have a lot to say. So as I started talking to them and they start, we started talking about preppy clothes and they were like, well, it really begins with the beginnings, you know, with Brooks Brothers. It really began. It, the, they were telling me about this history that stretched back into like 1818, which I was not expecting to go to. And so right away, I realized I needed to read more. So I got more books and read more and started interviewing the authors of those books and interviewing the people who were mentioned in those books. And it just sort of snowballed to the point where I was, you know, there are, there are 30 people on the podcast. It's like a really, like, it's a sizable, and I didn't even talk to everyone. There were like some people who I, I had to like cut myself off and be like, okay, you can't talk to anyone who has ever touched preppy clothes, like ever. Um, and a lot of those people are also just giving the context. They're not even specifically talking. Like I talked with a lot of economists, uh, historians about mm-hmm. the 70s and what the 70s meant. You know, you have to get a lot of outs. And it's been really fun talking to people, you know, serious academics for my fashion podcast and being like, hey, it's a show about clothes. But trust me, like your <laughs> your field of expertise. Like, I think really you're the only this. person that can connect the shape of a shoulder to history. Oh. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. But. Oh, thank you so much. for. I really appreciate it. It feels I mean, I'm definitely that means a lot. It's definitely <laughs> been sort of a I mean, I have I have incredible support. I have a really great editor and I have an engineer and I have a fact checker, but they're sort of the guardrails on what I'm doing. And I'm sort of like ping ponging around Mm -hmm. in there. And so half of the days I'm like, is this ridiculous? Like, I can't believe I'm making a seven part series about preppy clothes. And in a weird way, it's kind of nice that it's coming out. So I'm like, well, too late. Like, here it goes. (laughs) Off it goes. Maybe this was a silly idea, but here it comes. So thank you. That means a lot. Do you have a favorite article or look from the Ivy or preppy arsenal. I was thinking about this today, but yeah. Do you have one? Um, I sort of, yeah, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. 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 I mean, I love them. I love preppy clothes. I really do. And I used to hate it Uh, because I just think there's no, there's nothing cooler than wearing something uncool and making it cool. You know, like the other day I saw a picture of this very cool downtown guy wearing like a pink polo shirt. Mm-hmm. It's like, it just doesn't get cooler than that. It really, really does not to look super square and just be comfortable enough in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I got a tennis sweater. I, I, I love it. I wear these plaid pants that I got at a clothing swap. I wear them with loafers. Like I, 
I dig it. I love it. And I think the cool part about the IV Canon is that it's so malleable. You know, you can really wear a tennis skirt with like a, I don't know, whatever top you want. You can, you, it, they're so flexible again, because these things have come back in style so many times. And as I say in the first episode, so much of this is about legibility. Like clothes have to be sort of understandable to get where they're coming from. And Ivy clothes, I mean, we get it. You know, if you're wearing, if you're wearing khakis, you're like messing with a, with a sort of proper, a proper look. And you can, you can play from there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, it's like ABCs. There's so much room. There's so much leeway for personal expression. What's your favorite? Well, you know, I listened to episode or chapter three, however it's called today. And I was really laughing at the go to hell look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I guess I should just explain that that's like the embroidered little animals or things on your short, your Bermuda shorts or your uh, trousers. And I absolutely loved that as a kid. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have it ever, though. I was really fond of the whales, not necessarily the um, lobsters or crabs were another one. Yeah, yeah. But I thought they were just so friendly and cute, like to have whales on your pants. Yeah, that's, but- it's fun. <laughs> it's like they're they're fun. They're silly. <laughs> and I suppose another one, and these are all just probably styles that I lived through, Um like the patchwork madras. Yes. And Sperry Topsiders. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I think I grew up with J. Crew and Esprit. Yes. And another really weird side one I thought of was um and this related to scent, which I wanted to talk about, was Liz Claiborne at the time had this perfume that was in a you could get a red, yellow, or blue triangle bottle, which was, I think, probably the shape of the icon for the brand. And this, to me, was so early, mid-80s, preppy smell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I love the idea of a preppy smell. Do you know what that scent is called? I want to look it up. I think it was just Liz Claiborne, and I actually looked for a photo of the. Uh, it seems to be still around, but the, wow. the colored bottles are not the same anymore. Oh wow! It's the first thing that comes up if you search Liz Claiborne. It's like triangle bottle. Oh wow! You can get it at like Rite Aid. <laughs> so oh good. <laughs> I'm gonna run out and get it at Rite Aid. This is fascinating. So yeah, I think. As a kid, that was something that I wanted. Um, I, you know, that's like an old lady brand, really. It was at the time, but I, I wanted that, and that was probably speaking to like the Esprit brand becoming really big then, and like putting all these really bold, ridiculous patterns and colors on clothing for teenagers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny, like as time marches on and in subsequent episodes, I think like next week's is when we get into the 60s okay. and this idea of um, wanting to look young, which was new in the 60s. This was like, because if you look at pictures of young people in the 50s, they just look older. It was like mm-hmm. a way to be taken seriously and uh, to get respect and gravitas to just be older because 
teenager wasn't a thing. It was like you were a child and then you were an adult. So you wanted to look like an adult. And so it's interesting because that youthful look that you're talking about, you know, it sort of starts there. It starts with just even the idea that like looking young is cool and an aspiration. And then by the time we get to the eighties, it's very interesting what, what happens in the eighties. So this French philosopher, Gilles Pavetsky says that modern fashion has three chapters in it. The first chapter is sort of what we've been, you know, as of today, November 9th, episodes one, two, and three are out. And so far in these three episodes, what we've been talking about is the time period before the 60s, where fashion was sort of dictated by social hierarchy and designers. Like designers sort of gave you clothes and you wore them and you wanted to wear the fancy ones to look of higher status and 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 fit it and or fit in. You sort of like took what was given to you. And it wasn't necessarily about your personal style or anything. By the time we get to the 60s, it's way more about looking young and it's way more about personal style. And then there's this other revolution that happened in the 80s that no one ever talks about. And it actually has to do with Liz Claiborne. Basically, there was this moment where everyone in the 70s was starting to get really into business and go to business school. And uh, business was really getting promoted as like the thing to do, especially in college campuses. There are all these new business schools popping up sort of as a reaction to the 60s. So everyone, and for the first time, women especially, wanted to start dressing in a more subdued, sort of androgynous, serious way. And so mainstream fashion starts to get very, like, conservative in the 80s, which is funny because that's not how I think of fashion in the 80s. And it's right. true. There was there was this movement called Fru-Fru in the 80s where fashion designers were trying to convince women to wear like bustiers and corsets and like big shoulders and this like high, high femininity. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work. Like women didn't do it. They didn't buy the stuff. And Liz Claiborne comes into this because she paused a bunch of skirts that were mid-production. And she was like, we need to make these mini skirts. Like we need to keep up with the trends. And consumers were like, no, like I have a job. I'm not going to wear a corset to work. And the bottom fell out from under the fashion industry. There were huge losses. And it really changed the way from then on. This is sort of why you see the rise of the trend forecasting industry in the 80s. Because suddenly designers are like, wait, what do people want? You know, people were like, no, you cater to me. You tell me what I want. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because arguably that aesthetic of like big, bold shapes is is playful, but it's also quite simple and understandable. And you think about this as you enter the 90s, the big trends are like minimalism, you know, basics, classics, like everything starts getting really pared down. And then arguably from then to now, mainstream fashion has been super, super conservative, just trying to like make sure they don't suffer massive losses again, by pushing some mega trend. Mm. on their on their on their people so you start this series talking about trend forecasting or how trends happen or work and i'm just going to bring up the genes of the future <laughs> which i took a look at them and i'm i'm not going to spoil it for anyone because they can go and look at your Substack right to see mm -hmm. these but um what strikes me is like, what, what do we even call genes now? I mean, it's when what I saw mean? these, I just thought like, well, those are trousers. 
yeah. made of denim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's the thing. And that was the thing, a point of clarification. I did this story for 99% Invisible in 2016 about the trend forecasting industry, because to me, it felt like there was some, you know, conspiracy or cabal of these giant companies, you know, to make us buy more and, and impose trends upon us, which is not not true. But I was just curious about the the mechanisms behind it. So I got to go to the office of maybe the biggest trend forecasting company in the world. It's called WGSN. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of their trend forecasters let me see their prediction for what jeans would look like in 2018. And I was like, oh my God, you know, like blew my <laughs> mind. And, um, and when I was thinking about making this season about trends, I was like, I think our attitude towards trends have really, really changed way more so than in, in 2016. And I went back to the trend forecaster I talked to and I was like, do you remember? I, Cause I didn't remember the genes of the future. I was like, do you remember the genes of the future? And she showed them to me. And I was so like, same as you, like, okay, whatever. These are just, they're just pants. Like they, they didn't, it didn't, it felt like whatever rules we had, even as recently as 2016, in terms of like trends and cycles and styles and names and fabrics those aren't really, I mean, I was talking to people in, in, as, 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 as you can hear in the first episode there it's trends are way less about like this, like denim is in or whatever khaki is out. It's so much more about vibes mm -hmm. just being like, Oh, this like raver vibe, this like student vibe. Like that's how trends get talked about. They get talked about as these sort of costumes, these complete costumes rather than individual clothes. Yeah. And the way that, the, you know, it because I feel like, you know, you look at Donna Karen, it was like, oh, the cold shoulder is in. Everyone's wearing crop tops. Everyone's wearing flare pants. It was way more. It used to be way more about the cut and materials. And now it's like a, a mood. And it's, I don't think one's like preferable to the other or anything, but it is. I think it's a, a it's a noticeable shift. It's a change. It's a it's a trend change in how trends themselves have have worked, you know? Mm hmm. In season two of Articles of Interest, you did an interesting episode on scent, which is called Perfume. And emotion comes into play with our sense of smell. Yet, oh, yeah, big time. I, th I think one of your guests talks about how it's mostly that we just don't have the vocabulary to communicate about smells and scent. Yeah. Um, this is a general question for you as a podcaster but how do you deal with smell in a story I mean how do you know when it's relevant to the story and whether to deal with it or not and how do you deal with it yeah I mean that was a really hard episode to do to basically to translate one scent into another mm -hmm. like translate smells to sounds by way of words it was like kind of tricky but um it totally changed my life because I really, I mean, it basically opened up this whole new sense to me. I really <laughs> didn't think that I had much of a nose. And, you know, the story opens with with me and my friend in a perfume in, in like just a normal Sephora and she's smelling everything. Like, I don't know what she's talking about. I was fully ready to make an episode that was like, it's all snake oil. Like, wake up, people. You know, perfume's not real. It's just fancy bottles and they put, you know, water in it. I really did not think it was anything. And then lo and behold, it was the opposite. Perfumers 
are brilliant artist chemists mm-hmm. and the way they play with scent and impression and association and memory. I mean, they're building a story, really. It's so beautiful. I mean, there's one scene where I was talking to uh, this one perfumer about how to make a fig. And he's like, okay, think about think about what you want the fig to be. Is there stem in the fig? Is there leaf in the fig? How ripe is the fig? How rotted is the fig? I mean, you're sort of painting a picture. You're like deciding how to zoom in or zoom out. There's no one platonic. You can't just be like, okay, fig, bottled it. Like you have to make it. You have to concoct it. And so in a weird way, the scent itself, and this is true of so many fashion stories and architecture stories that I used to do before, where the story behind how it's made is just as interesting as the final product itself. And so we really like focus on that instead of trying to Mm -hmm. do the scent justice, which it can't, can't be done. Like it's never going to happen. But yeah, that, that story, I'm like so into perfume now. And I was not at all before. Like I feel naked without perfume. I think perfume's amazing. Do you think preppy has a smell? So one of the things the perfumers told me is that Americans, Americans in particular, love things to smell clean. That's just the word we use to say, I like it. Because what does clean mean, right? Like, what is soap? Like, soap can be scented like so many things. You can have flowery soap. You can have lemony soap. You can have, you know, or like, like there's a watery clean. There's a grass clean. Like, what does clean mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's just what Americans like, as opposed to, uh, say, like, smokier scents or or more... Um, uh, you know, sexier sense or or spicier sense. Americans like clean. And I feel as though that is also the essence of preppy is like clean. It's it's clean. It's not spicy. It's not smoky. It's right. It can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But really, it's about being like fresh and like young and clean. Yeah. And that's America. That's that's our that's our clothes. That's our sense. Like we have this idea and it has percolated very slowly over time since the course of our nation's founding and become this like ethos. And it really helps me sort of wrap my head around like who we think we are as a nation. Cause it's such a, it's such a big old place. There's so many influences swirling around, but I can safely say that like one of our traditions, in addition to like the cowboy and the blue collar worker is the archetype of like the, the coastal elite and the college student Mm. and um, they smell clean is their thing. <laughs> they they smell like they have not done hard labor at all. I would agree with that. <laughs> so how we communicate with our clothing and style and the emotions related to that, do you think that something has happened to that during the pandemic? I realize that's a really big question. but Well, I think that's part of why everyone's so interested in trends right now. People are like, what's going on? Like, what's everybody doing? Well, you know, we're looking for through lines. They're like, okay, well, this was my experience. What was your experience? You know? And the fact that we are not looking at each other out on the street, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't dress for our lives anymore. Like when I run to the grocery store, I'm wearing, you know, whatever, that's not what I dress for. I dress for photographs that go on the internet. And I think a lot of, I mean, I don't say this with pride, but I think a lot of people do. I think the paradigm has been sort of 
inverted, that you don't really dress for for life anymore. Mm -hmm. And so trends do not have to relate to your actual physical surroundings or your milieu or anything. The kind of clothing you want to wear is now sort of uh, limitless. You can you you could dress however you want it because it doesn't even have to be because it's like warm or cold outside. Like you're indoors in a climate controlled area. You can wear whatever you want. You don't have to walk very far. You can wear whatever ridiculous shoes you want. So I feel like that's part of it is clothing's sort of unmooring from its context and the general curiosity of like, well, what's everybody else? What's everybody else doing? Um, And I think there's also like an increased interest in fashion. I think people are way more interested in clothes now than they were even when I started Articles of Interest in 2018. Um, and I don't quite know what that's about. I don't think I'm like well-researched enough, but that's my my guess. I think that the interest in trends is a byproduct of isolation because trends are how we fit in. We're like, mm-hmm. all right, now I'm emerging. Am I doing okay? You know, am I going along with everyone else? And it's not a bad thing to wonder. It's I think it's only human. Have you experimented with any new techniques in your own research or storytelling for American Ivy? Definitely. Yeah. This is the first time I've ever done a serialized show. Right. And I have, I have been told in the past people, people have been like, Oh, articles of interest. It's just, it's too short. You know, they're like, just when you really get cooking, the, sh- the episode sort of stops. And I was like, all right, well, what if we went all the way? What if we went as deep as you could possibly go and just like took a topic to its logical conclusion? What if we, would we just, yeah, come along with me, let's go all the way. And that's been very, um, decadent and complicated also there are all these like moving parts and Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure everything was sort of in the right order that was really new and then the other thing is so I'm I'm independent now and I have way less oversight and I wanted to overcompensate for that by hiring so PRX is paying for an editor and an engineer which is very amazing very generous of them and I had to find my own find and pay my own fact checker out of pocket And so I, like, she's amazing. She's so incredible. And I've never worked with anyone this thorough before. She called up everyone I interviewed and, like, ran through all their quotes with them and was like, do you still stand by this? Do you still stand by this? Do you still stand by this? She basically reread all the books I read. Uh, She just double-checked my work in this really thorough way. And I've never, ever had that before. And I really needed it. I was so so scared going into Mm -hmm. this that that I would make a mistake or misquote someone. So that to me has been the biggest change is the the rigorous, rigorous, rigorous fact checking process. And I've loved it. I don't know if I can afford her again, but like, man, she's that was like such a luxury. That was so cool. Is there anything that could happen that would considerably change how you have planned the story to unfold? Or is it pretty much set? You mean if someone made some like grand statement that was like, Ivy is out, <laughs> like preppy is not... A- um, or style. someone dies or I'm- if Ralph Lauren died, that would be pretty sad. Uh, I tried to get him to no avail. Uh, no, I mean, so much of the show takes place in history. Like yeah. most of the show is, it, but it's important. You know, all these contexts are really important and they stack on each other until we get to, I mean, functionally the last episode, which I'm still working on and, uh, 
I wanted these all, they're so interconnected. I really wanted them to drop at once so people could binge them. I think they're actually quite hard to follow if you wait week to week. Um, so originally I was intending for them to all drop at once, but the nice thing about the weekly drop is that I'm getting all this feedback and collecting ideas Mm -hmm. and that's all filtering into the last episode, which is really like what I think this look means, what I think its future is, which I'm still honestly, like I'm still reading books. I'm still interviewing people. I'm still getting ready for episode seven. So, you know, if there's anything that could change, We'll find I'm out. Still, I'm still working on it. You know, it's still very much alive. It's still very malleable right now. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, to start wrapping up here, I mean, back in 2020, you mentioned to us that you wanted to work on creating music for radio and podcasts. Have you done any of that? Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of the okay. score for uh, articles. Great. But mostly because it was just, you know... I didn't have the money and, and also, uh, you know, it was, some of it was like, okay, well, I need a, I need a droning sound here. So mm-hmm. I'll just make that rather than asking someone else to, it's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just do it. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not a musician. I couldn't make like a pop song with a hook, but I can definitely make like a vibe. I can definitely play three notes. You can make a droning over sound. and over again and, and, you know, talk over it. Yeah. So podcast music is, is simple enough, but yeah. Good. And it's reminding me of that. <laughs> I think I heard that you have a, a newsletter. And is there anything else you'd want to tell Metapod listeners about? Yeah. So the newsletter is something I'm trying out instead of a website, instead of like, here's articles of interest. It was an easier sort of headspace to get into to be like, now I'm just going to write a little newsletter, like a little, a little letter, mm-hmm. you know, and here are some images from the podcast and here are some because I think it's important to make the transcripts accessible and images accessible. You want like lots of different people to be able to hear and understand the show, but I didn't want it to be so, um, re- cause like, I'm just a person. I'm not a news <laughs> yes. organization. You know, I have a fact checker, but yeah, it, it's totally. just me. And yeah. so there's something about making a website and being like, here's my story that just felt too official. So yes, every, episode is sort of listed on Substack and you can go to articlesofinterest.substack.com to read it. And then in between, you know, once the series is over, there there are a few newsletters I sent out before it started. And those are mostly about like shopping, but uh, I think more stuff will, will continue. I'd like to keep it up weekly uh, even after the series ends. Maybe you can put the go to hell look on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let people see it. Totally. Well, Avery, it's been really fun to hear what you've been up to. And I really appreciate your time here on Metapod. And I'm so looking forward to more chapters of the American Ivy story. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And thank you for having me back on. It's such a pleasure. I love your questions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Avery, for your time and thoughts. You are now part of a small but very fancy group of Metapod guests who have returned to talk about different podcasting projects they've worked on. Those others would be Chris Warburton of Ecstasy, The Battle of Rave, and End of Days, and Nick Hilton of The Town That Didn't Stare and The Town That Knew Too Much. And hey, both Nick and Chris also have new podcasts out now, so you can check Metapod Social for mentions of those. 
If you'd like to follow Avery Truffleman on social, you can find her on Twitter at Truffleman, and that's with one F and one N. Or you can subscribe to the Articles of Interest newsletter at articlesofinterest.substack.com. It's a nice light companion to the podcast where she features some photos and thoughts about specific topics that she covers in the series. Plus, you can see the genes of the future there, so go check it out. As always, you can read more about Metapod guests on metapodshow.com, and if you fancy, follow Metapod on your favorite listening app or on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Metapod Show and Twitter at The Metapod Show. I'm interested to hear your feedback about Metapod episodes that you've listened to, so feel free to contact me via social media with your comments or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Thanks again for listening to Metapod. See you. That's all for this episode of Metapod. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at The Metapod Show and subscribe at any of the usual places you find your other favourite podcasts. You can follow Metapod on Instagram at metapodshow or visit our website metapodshow.com. Aside from the theme tune, this episode of Metapod was made end-to-end by me, Wendy Morrill. Metapod intro and outro voiceovers by Zoe.